Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi ve salatu ve selamu ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecma'in. Amma ba'd. Ve ezzin fin nasi bil hacci ya'tuka ricalan ve ala kulli damirin ya'tina min kulli feccin amik. Yeşhedu menafi'a lehum ve yezkuru ismallahi fi eyyamin ma'lumat. Ve kâle ta'ala. Feyza qadaytum menasikakum fezkurullaha kezikrikum abâakum ev eşedde zikra. When a person has heard a lot about someone and they've been in some kind of contact or association with them for a very long time but they haven't seen them yet, they haven't visited them, they haven't gone to their locality then one of the greatest happinesses that a person can get, one of the greatest sense of satisfaction a person can get is when they actually go to visit that individual or visit that locality, visit their institution, visit their home, whatever it may be. Something that's closer to them than you've ever been before. When a person has a desire for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we need to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to invite us to come to the Haramain. Because that's the one physical location in the world where there is definitely the feeling of protection as you feel in Ramadan with the shaitan away so although the shayateen are still around but the haramain is still because of the sanctity of the area that barakah is still there both in Makkah, Mukarramah and Medina Munawwara of course a corrupt person whether it be Ramadan, whether the shaitans are around or not nothing's going to help if they have a desire to do evil but otherwise it's that great place where a person feels purified enough to get more purified obstacles are away you can't just pop into someone's house you have to be obviously invited somebody lower than you you could probably push your way in somebody higher than you then generally you need to be invited. There's a lot of protocol, there's a lot of decorum that needs to be observed. With the Haramain, um, on the, the, you need to be invited. And when you are invited, then there's obviously other... You're invited to someone's house and then you sit there criticizing, complaining about small petty things. The host is going to think, what's this guy's problem? So when it comes to the Haramain as well, Allah has invited you there. You don't want to go sit there and complain about petty things. Of course, you, to get your right is a different thing. But small petty things to complain about. Sometimes people do get a bit angry because it's a stress situation throughout. Hajj is very different from Umrah. Umrah is the time to go and relax in the sense and worship. Whereas Hajj, it forces you into it's a spiritual washing machine and it is a spiritual washing machine both in a physical sense as well both for the heat of the area as well I mean I, one day they dropped us off at Marwa behind Marwa in a place called Gaza they call it Gaza that's where you get the taxis from and it's a good 20 minute walk into the Haram at least it's not, not like just outside the door it's 20 minutes through Safa Marwa into the Haram and a lot of that is through the heat. And I'm thinking, 
what what is this all for tolerate this heat and it's 43 degrees we're talking about and then you think to yourself that if it wasn't for this heat and if it was so simple you probably wouldn't value it you'd probably just kind of go in and do your stuff go out and there'd be nothing it'd be so convenient and when things are convenient I don't think we realize the value of them so now you have to prove to yourself that I'm going to withstand this heat, I'm going to tolerate this heat, I'm going to tolerate all of this difficulty, all of this walking. For the Europeans during the Jamarat days, we're walking about 10 miles a day in the heat. Well, a lot of it in the heat, there's tunnels that you go through. It's 10 miles because we're talking about 55 minutes walk there. You can, how many miles can you walk? I mean, I can walk to Stamford in two, uh, that's two miles in about 25 minutes. So, I'm assuming five miles in an hour, right? And then return, and on the return it's actually longer because you have to kind of go out and come back in the way they've made the Jamarat. So that's ten miles a day, nine to ten miles a day at least. And then you're walking around other places, obviously. Why are you doing all in the heat as well? So then you feel that there's a reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose that area above all others anyway to start with. Because the people who live there, they could, if you live there, you can live, I mean, now it's different. They've got AC and, you know, AC to AC, car to building, etc. But in those days, if you live there, you could live anywhere in the world. And uh, Islam is a proselytizing religion. It's a religion that is to spread. So that was the perfect people to give it to because they could live anywhere in the world. Because wherever else they went, it's not going to be as difficult, hot. Number one. Um, despite the fact that they were totally uncivilized in a sense and number two the other reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave it to them was because of their uh, their ability to convey their uh, their inner meaning Arab which means to um, able to articulate your thoughts and despite being so uncivilized looked down upon by the rest of the world they used to think the rest of the world didn't know how to speak so you can imagine what kind of pride they had in their speech and Islam is a that kind of a it's a religion of da'wah so it was the perfect people to give it to but yes that heat and all of that is still there and that's what is what makes you value what you're there for very specific reason but once you're there you need to appreciate being there at every moment you should be telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I thank you for allowing me to be here and allow me to benefit from here there's a lot of distraction just like everywhere there's fitna everywhere so you've got lots of stores and shops and shopping down there, which is a big issue because if in your heart you have this idea in your mind that I need to do some shopping, that will take away from your worship because you feel it's a liability. What I noticed was that if you have no liability in your mind, if you have no responsibility in your mind, the only thing you're there for is worship, then you'll get the best worship. Otherwise you'll sit in the masjid and think, I have to call such and such a person. I have to communicate with so-and-so, I have to go and do this, I have to visit this person, I have to meet this buzurg, I have to meet this great person, or I have to go and do shopping, I still have to buy this, I've got the shopping list which my family gave me, rather than a dua list, which you can just pull out. Dua lists are very, very useful, so I got the whole family to write me their dua lists, so you can just sit there in Arafah, in front of the Kaaba, in Mina, etc., and just pull out the dua list, and just make all of those duas, makes it so much simple. If you have that liability when you go there, then you don't get the most of it. 
So I did have liabilities of buying jubbas, etc. I just went in one and a half hours to the Taiba center in Medina first and did all that. I went to about three or four shops, found the best prices, bought all the jubbas there and done. Kajur, there was this guy that I had to get it from. Uh, I told him, bring me this, this, uh, done. Right. You want to be there purely for the sake. So tell your families not to give you lists of things, but give you lists of du'as. Because that's the best thing you can bring back from down there. It's, it's, th those du'as work. They're amazing. They're totally amazing. Du'as are made down there and they're accepted straight away. There's one guy who used to is from India or Pakistan. He used to live in, uh, he used to work in Jeddah or somewhere. He went to the Haram, and he made a du'a that oh Allah make my child hafiz of the Quran. He made the du'a, came out, went to his hotel or back to his apartment or whatever. I think he used to live in Makkah. I'm not sure or Jeddah. He went back, and as soon as he got into the house, the phone was ringing. His apartment, the phone was ringing picked up the phone and he was just thinking I'm gonna go and call my wife and tell her that this is the dua I made so the phone is ringing he picks it up it's his wife from Pakistan or wherever Pakistan or India and he said what well, is everything fine you know what's going on he said uh, she said I just want to let you know that I just went to the masjid and dropped our child I thought that you know our children should be half so I just went to the masjid dropped my child uh, to the Qari sahab. I went and just dropped him off at the Qari sahab. Dua made their instant correlation, instant, right? And it's just simple, I mean, personal story. there's so many stories of this nature that it's not even a joke. There's a, a couple, a, a, a Christian woman, Jewish man, working for some, some international company, uh, and uh, their company wanted some people to go and work in Jeddah, so offered people a package that, look, you'll get more pay in another country, who's willing to go? So these two, a bit adventurous, they thought, let's go, let's take up that offer for two years or whatever it is. So now she used to see every now and then in the evening, she used to see these people dressed in white in Jeddah, you know, people, hajis. So she used to wonder, what, what are these people? What's going on? There's, you know, there's something about them. Either they're coming, you know, whatever the story is. So then she asked her husband, her husband said, yeah, you know, they've, their big shrine or whatever is close by an hour away or something like that, and they go there on pilgrimage. So then she started to have this desire to go there. So I told her husband, I said, well, we can't go. You know, only Muslims can go there. By the way, the Hanafis allow non-Muslims. Hanafis don't have a problem with that. But the others do. And that's the law that goes there right now. So after a while, she said, you know what? There must be some way we can get there. And she come up, they came up with an idea that she'll go and buy a hijab cover her head and he'll buy a topi right, a hat and go with that so they got in the car and they started driving there and ajib Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's qudra that the checks that you get in between the police checks there was a shift change at that point when they got there so they didn't really look at them too well looked at hijab whatever oh, okay hajj umrah whatever go they got there um, no, I looked at it and thought they're Muslim because they didn't have ihram on. When they got to Makkah, they found, you know, where's the Kaaba? Where's the Kaaba? They got to the Kaaba, went inside, and believe me, anybody, that's quite amazing that place. Went inside, and she's just like, 
I saw the I saw the baraka. I just saw this light coming down and it was just angelic, it was just amazing. And then she started crying. She just couldn't help it. People just burst into tears down there. And she looked at her husband. Her husband's also eyes are watery. And she goes, What do you think? So he said, These are the words, said, This seems to be real. You know, there's something real about this. And then discussion ensued and they said, like, why don't why don't we look into this? And she became a Muslim. So if a non-Muslim can just look at the Kaaba and be so inspired and receive Hidayah, then people who are Muslims who go there, why can't they receive Hidayah? It's already something made, you get a higher notch, get a higher level of Ibadah. So that's the profoundness of that place. So this concept of when people say that, why do people keep going back and again and again? Donate that money. Donation is an ibadah. Hajj is a different ibadah. Right? There's a nafal aspect here. There's a nafal aspect here. There's a fard aspect here. There's a fard aspect here. People who go for hajj, they can also donate. But why should we sacrifice the opportunity to enhance our spirituality, to gain forgiveness, to benefit from the place? You don't get the same thing in sadaqah. You get the reward, but you don't get the same. So, <coughs> that's the profundity of that place. The last time we went for Hajj, in 2001, went with a bunch of other young guys uh, from America that time. And uh, one of the guys with us, Moroccan guy, he was married to a convert. He was married to a Mexican who had converted to Islam, but she wouldn't wear a hijab, and he really wanted her to do so. Many, many years she wouldn't do so. After we came back from Hajj, two things happened. His wife picked him up at the airport with a hijab, and from that day she started wearing hijab, LAX, Los Angeles airport. And number two, he had a cholesterol problem, which uh, he, had to, he stopped taking medicine for it. So there's some ajeeb du'as that you can make down there when you get that opportunity. If you get to kiss the black stone, you know, there's many people who get to kiss it, there's ways of doing that. But to think about it like this, that there's one stone between 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. Just think about it like that. One stone between 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. And 99.9% .9 of those Muslims will probably never kiss that stone. If you get a kiss of that stone, then what? In fact, 99% of the people who come to the haram won't even bother trying. Which is probably a good thing. They're not told to. They're told not to. But if Allah gives you the tawfiq, it's great. I mean, you have to have a desire to do it. It's not to say who doesn't kiss it is not going to get benefit. But there's a desire you have to have. You have to be kind of high himma to do this. And it's possible even during hajj. During our tawaf is ziyarat, alhamdulillah, this time. It was myself, this other guy from South London who uh, was my companion, uh, a tall guy as well. And there were about three or four Nigerians from our group. We, we went in as a group of like 70, but then people get dispersed in the tawaf because I kind of head right towards the next to the Kaaba. And you know, it's, not everybody can stay together. So it was three other Nigerians and one older Nigerian Sudanese woman with a walking stick. She kissed it twice on that night, which is 
the tenth night, eleventh morning. She kissed it twice. Right? Our tawaf was done in 40 minutes. And she kissed it twice. He kissed it three times. I got four kisses in there. It wasn't it. We tried before that though. Before Hajj, me and him. We tried in there for 12 minutes or 15 minutes. Totally drenched in sweat. It's like a sauna in there. Right? And you, you get fatigued. I couldn't do it. Kept getting so close that just getting thrown away and then left it after that. So, so much. The first time it failed actually. So after Hajj, Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But I think you have to know know when to try and when not to try. No, I think kind of cage number of people and so on. The only other way you can actually get in there anytime is you get aggressive and you don't want to do that. Because then that's wrong. There's a lot of people in there aggressive. They just push in. And being a big guy, you can easily push in, get aggressive and push people out and do it. That's not. It's to get in there without doing that. And that was a good opportunity. Then we went around to the Multism. And good five minutes, no shoving, no pushing. We got onto it, me and him, both of us, for a whole five minutes. And nobody's there to even push us out. Then I just felt a bit bad, okay, I've done my dua. You see, the thing with any dua, wherever you do, is that you stay there as long as your mind is focused. Once your mind starts going here and there, leave. And we just left. So these opportunities are there, even though it's only one stone among, you know, 2.8 billion people, a uh, million people that came this year. There were 2.8 million people. So it's all a possibility. But you have to have that desire, and you have to be focused. And one of the biggest ways to be focused is just go for that purpose and just be there for that purpose. Just think yourself lucky to even be there. There's a lot of distraction, a lot of good shopping that you can get from around the world, products from around the world. If you're bored in England shopping. That's the place to go and shop if you're into shopping because you've got things from around the world, right? So there's a lot of distraction in that sense. And unfortunately, the Prophet ﷺ did say that a time will come when people will go there for tourism. Perfect place for tourism, nice hotels and, you know, good shopping. And uh, there's other things that you can do en route and things like that. And just say, give an excuse for Umrah. But that's why it's to keep it pure, keep it pure. So then, you're in a constant state in Hajj, especially you're in, regardless of where you are, who you are, five-star package, four-star package, yes, you might have different accommodations and so on, but you're still, you know, deprived of sleep times, food is, you know, depending uh, how it is, uh, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of stress, you're in that stress mode, and stress mode is important for change. Without being stressed out, if you're in a normal routine as you're normally used to, you're not going to re-evaluate yourself as much. Because you're normal, you're, just, you're in your normal routine. But what helps the benefit, the wisdom in putting people under a different mode, like in Etikaf. Um, and like Paul Salim in Blackburn, uh, sorry, Leicester, he says that if we're to give more free time when people just sit and waste their time and talk. But to keep them in that stress mode all the time, like a bit of sleep here, a bit of sleep there, then people will go to sleep and will focus on their ibadah. But it's only for a short amount of time. You can't be in that mode all the time. But those modes are important because then they take you out of your familiarity, your familiar routine, then you can re-evaluate how you want to be afterwards. Because you've been pushed out of it. Now you to come back in, you can do that. So that's why Etikaf, Ramadan, Ramadan in general, and then Etikaf more in particular, and then Hajj really 
helps in that situation really helps in that situation you know you because it's a spiritual washing machine you can come back purified because you just make lots and lots of dua you really reflect you really think about yourself and you come back and you can be changed and the highest level of that is what the prophet said is when you come back like the day your mother gave birth so that's a possibility that's your goal to have a hajj mabrur to thank allah subhanahu wa ta'ala get him not everybody's going to come back like that not everybody's going to come back like that in the group that i went with you can tell i mean there were people i went with there was one woman there 39 years old not married um lost their father some time ago whatever so she's been kind of she goes i have never prayed in my life i have not been practicing in my life i've never done anything in my life i used to go and drop my parents off my my mother and grandmother off at a special Islamic program and I used to walk away I used to dress bad everything I don't think, I just came here and this is the first time somehow she got in her mind that we should go for Hajj she is the one who organized everything and they couldn't believe that she was doing that right and she goes just been working and just enjoying myself never prayed like not like I pray Juma you know never prayed it's people like that they come there and it's a totally different evaluation of your life the main thing for us on the path is that when you're on the path it's a path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more focused all Muslims are on the path of Allah but when you're on suluk in the path of the sawf you are on the path like that's your focus is become your focus and one of the highlights of that is to go to the haramain because there you can get close to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you can do your muraqaba you can if you can uh, basically realize the ma'rifah to a certain degree standing in front of the haram one of the best times you can do that is in fajr because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the quran al-fajri kana mashuda that the 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 quran recited the recitation at fajr is witnessed by the angels and you can definitely feel that when you're reading in the Haram. And mashallah, they have good readers as well. In front of the Kaaba. And there's a just that can't be that cannot be replicated anywhere else. Just can't be replicated anywhere else. And that's when you look at the Kaaba and you feel to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that if this is the satisfaction I'm getting just by being in front of your house, I'm outside the door. If that's the satisfaction I can get from being outside your house, then, oh Allah, give me that satisfaction when I actually stand in front of you on the Day of Judgment. So have a relevant dua to every place. That's one thing about the people of Allah. That's what they do. They have a very relevant dua to, uh, you know, to place. For example, Masjid Qiblatain. What's a relevant du'a to that place? And that's the place where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changed the qibla. So what came to mind was that this is all the barakah of the shaykh because he tries to find relevant, our shaykh, he tries to find relevant du'as for people. So I was just explaining to people this is the masjid al-qiblatayn, this is where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa for 16 months or something like that prayed towards the, uh, after moving to Medina Munawwara, he was unable to pray in the direction of the Kaaba and in the direction of Jerusalem and the hukam, the command was to pray to Jerusalem but he really had his desire to turn to the Kaaba 
And then finally Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed قَدْ نَرَى تَقَلُّبَ وَجْهِكَ فِي السَّمَاءِ فَلَنُوَلِّيَنَّكَ قِبْلَةً تَرْضَاهَا So it was Dhuhr Asr prayer and um, uh, the Prophet sallallahu came around exactly how he came through the people around the side but basically yeah, that masjid had two qiblas until now because that's where the qibla changed. So relevant dua there would be for example that such a great um, uh, such an important thing that the Prophet wanted it was realized here so the Prophet also wanted to see his ummah prosper so oh Allah accept that dua from us today on behalf of your messenger because this is where a great desire of his was fulfilled so another great desire is more importantly for him is for to see his ummah prosper then at Uhud it's the place where the Muslims had a bit of a problem initially after kind of gaining the upper hand because of the, the the Bose people at the top. They moved out. There was a setback. And then what happened is in that battle in Uhud, you had Khalid bin Walid. I believe he was the commander of the right contingent. Ikrimah ibn Abi Jahl, the son of Abu Jahl, he was the commander of the left and the commander of the army in general is Abu Sufyan and the front command was in Amr ibn As hand. So these are four of the great commanders who all became Muslim afterwards. So the relevant dua here is that, Oh Allah, we've got some big people in the world who are seen as big enemies of Islam. Who would have ever thought that Khalid bin Walid, Amr ibn al-As, Ikrimah ibn Abi Jahl, right, and Abu Sufyan become Muslim. And then Hind, she was with him at that time. She's the one who took out the liver, etc. of Hamza radiallahu anhu as in martyr. So these are five of the enemies of Islam at the time. Some known more for their enmity than others. They all became Muslim afterwards. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make these big enemies we have today make dua for them at that time relevant that if this could have happened here we make a relevant dua that that happened uh, in this world for us today for us it's just to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have that desire Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's up to him to accept it and then Arafah is just a, a totally other scene that is where it's as if Allah is giving you a blank check, write whatever you want on it. We'll give it to you. And you're only limited by what number you can put on there. So if you want to put 10,000, that's your limit. Somebody's limit is 20 million with 50 zeros, that's their limit. It's up to you. Allah can give as much as you want. You just have to convince Him to give it to you on that day. That's the best. Every moment of it is so potent that it can turn the biggest fasiq into the greatest wali of Allah in Arafah. Shaitan just knows it's a hands-off day for him. He can't do anything because the mercy is just so great. And that's why Jabal al-Rahmah, it's actually called Jabal al-Rahmah, to give even more indication that this is a place of mercy. And it's a place called Arafah. So you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for ma'rifah. You ask Allah for ma'rifah. Then you go to Muzdalifa, and Izdalafa, it means to be close. And they say one of the reasons why it's called that, again Allah knows best, is because Adam alayhi salam, that's where he 
was became close with Hawa salam after coming to the world, after meeting again. Or it could mean that that's where you get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or it's closer to Minna. There's lots of reasons. But oh Allah grant us your closeness. So these are all, the, the more ingenuous you are in thinking about these things, the more it shows that you're focusing and you're not focusing on only the superficial, but you're really thinking about it. And these things you can only learn of the people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they're the ones who've thought about it and looked at it with a different eye. They've pulled out points from there which nobody else has. Otherwise, you're just kind of tumbling around in the spiritual washing machine anyway. So you're just kind of tumbling around literally from here to the other. So it's it's definitely a journey to be taken. And to be taken when you're younger. And to be taken over and over again, if possible. There is a restriction of five years. But for every journey to become a better one than the last one, as initially when you go there, it's a bit difficult. But when you first go, the group I went with is mostly people who are kind of older. Um, these are people who like finally going to do their Hajj. Very few younger people. Because it's this tradition, isn't it, that that's what you do after retirement, when you become pious enough to go. A total fallacy. But the good thing is that they ask you a lot of questions, and if you give, if you're a, you know if you're giving bayan somewhere, the fee, the the profit you get from that is about ten percent maximum generally. You know, like you give a juma bayan, you give any other bayan. How many people are going to really act on what you say? Maximum probably ten percent. A lot of people are unfortunately there for entertainment or just to be there or whatever. It could be more in some cases or the others. But people who are genuinely, you write a book, same kind of thing, 5-10% is your, is your response you get on that in terms of profit. Fatwas, questions, even if you're not a mufti where you're an imam or you're helping out someone in there somewhere, that's like 99% because people have come with their own desire, with their own want, with their own need, with a problem. <coughs> so you get that. And hajj, it's even more because they want to make it right. So they ask you all these questions to make it right. And personally, that's my selfish approach to this. That I go there to get the benefit. When you get your own hajj done, but then you get to help them. And the more jahil the group is, the better. right? Because then they can rely on you and you get more reward for all their hajj that you go. If you, if you know what I mean, it's just really good. So you can help out. Very important. So the whole idea of this is to get closer to Allah, to come back and feel closer. We, we need these opportunities because when we live away from Ramadan and away from... We, we, we get back into the dunya. You get, that's why the Prophet ﷺ said that when a haji comes back, then shake his hand before he gets into his house and ask him to seek forgiveness for you. Because he's come back forgiven. At some level he's been forgiven. So his du'as are going to be more accepted than somebody who's not as forgiven. But once he says before he gets into his house, once he gets into his house, khalas, it's you're back into the normal pollution of everything. Um, but we're looking for opportunities. If you're on the path, you're looking for opportunities. So you want to take the most of Ramadan. Then you want to take the most of Hajj. Hajj and Ramadan are very close together, which is kind of very strange. Two purifying times. But I said that the harder you work in Ramadan, 
And if you're really accepted, then you go for Hajj for the meeting. And you get to Allah's house. That's even better. But then that's very close. Then you got seven months to, you know, seven months out in the cold. So what do you do in that time? Well, of course, if you can go for Umrah, it's great, but not everybody has that ability to go. But then you look for other majalis, you know, you attend the majalis, you continue your dhikr to stay strong while you're in that time. It's very important. So once you're out in the cold for too long, that's when you start wearing out. You don't, st you don't feel like doing your dhikr anymore, you don't feel like attending anymore, you don't feel like, you're you know, you, you're, you become in that confused state. Once you're on the track, you should keep on the track and try to get these beneficial um, associations, companies and things like that to keep it going. That's, that, that's what I've noticed is the secret of staying steadfast, is to keep in touch. Otherwise, if you depend on yourself, the nafs generally overtakes us. It's quite clear. The nafs generally overtakes us. Nafs is very powerful and knows what we want. So shaitan works with the nafs. The nafs is not going to do anything on its own. It's the shaitan that's going to work through the nafs. So it will re rekindle the nafs and the desire that you've just destroyed in Ramadan to come back in full force. It's like the weight has come off after you know, you've know you been sick for two weeks. You've lost three kilos. It's just going to come back. In fact, liposuction. People go and do liposuction, but they don't change their lifestyle. It's, gonna, it's just going to come back. So at the end of the day, it's, this, it's the same kind of thing here, that if you don't have a change routine and you don't keep getting the energy and the rekindling of that benefit, then it's not going to happen. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the tawfiq to keep in touch with his ma'rifah on the path and keep us rejuvenated and spiritually, uh, spiritually inspired so that we can continue to worship him. We can only do it through him. اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا حدار يا غدار لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إنا كنا من الظالمين جزا الله عنا محمد ما هو أهل اللهم صلي وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم والله والله فكف our sins والله we confess to you our sins والله والله there are many sins that we've committed, the openness of day, darkness of night, sins we've considered insignificant, sins we did blasphemously, sins we knew we were doing wrong, but because you hadn't punished us, we thought that we, thought that we could get away with it. Oh Allah, there are many sins that we've committed which we sought forgiveness from and then we came back and do it, did it again. Oh Allah, we ask you forgiveness from all of these sins. We ask you forgiveness from all sins. Sins which have prevented your mercy from coming to us. Sins that have prevented our sustenance from being increased for us. Sins that have prevented a good life, a hayat an tayyibah. Sins which have brought about evil for us, problems in our life, darkness in our life, issues. O oh Allah, anxieties, sadness and grief. O oh Allah, we ask you forgiveness from all of these forms of sins. O oh Allah, you know the reality of each sin and the effect that each sin has. O oh Allah, we are confessing sinners. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, we, we entreat you humbly. We ask you to treat us with your mercy. We ask you to treat us with your mercy. O 
Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you grant us your love and the love of those who love you. Oh Allah, that you give us the ability to go to the Haramain and to visit your house and to benefit from it like your Sahaba benefited from it. Oh Allah, to perform the Hajj and the pilgrimage and to give us the same reward you gave to the Sahaba 1435 years ago. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you take us over and over again and allow us to be in the, in, in your Messenger Wasallam's company in Masjid al-Nabawi in Medina Munawwara. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask you for an excellent life in this world and an excellent life in the hereafter. Oh Allah, we ask that you fulfill our permissible needs. Oh Allah, you fulfill our permissible needs. You grant us Jannatul Firdaus. You grant us Jannatul Firdaus. And you make our actions in this world conducive for entry into Jannatul Firdaus. Oh Allah, you grant us protection from all evils that are out there. You grant us protection from all evils that are out there. Oh Allah, grant us and our children and our progeny until the day of judgment. Oh Allah, grant us all protection. Grant us all protection. Don't let us ever see a bad day with our children or our progeny until the day of judgment. Oh Allah, oh Allah, accept our meeting here today. Oh Allah, accept our meetings and our majalis that we have. Allow them to be places of your mercy to descend and your barakah to descend. Oh Allah, allow us to be infused with your love and the love of those who love you. Grant us good company. Grant us the ability to make prayer in which we have sweetness. Oh Allah, grant us the sweetness and the pleasure and satisfaction in reciting the Qur'an, in doing your dhikr, in doing your dhikr, in, in performing our prayer. Oh Allah, they've all become devoid, devoid, without any spirit, without any ruh. Oh Allah, we ask that you fulfill, you fill it with your ruh, fill it with your with the ruh again. Grant us spirituality. Oh Allah, oh Allah, allow us to think aright and see the truth as the truth and allow us to follow it and see the wrong as the wrong and allow us to abstain from it. Oh Allah, grant us love of those things that you love and that you're pleased with. Oh Allah, not those things that which you are displeased with. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we ask that you cure our sick ones, you cure our illnesses and sicknesses, both external and internal. Oh Allah, and you prepare us to be, to have the best day when we stand in front of you. Oh Allah, give us the grant us the greatest satisfaction when we stand in front of you. Oh Allah, make the best that the best moment of our life and grant us the company of your Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam and send abundant blessings on him on our behalf. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun al mursaleen Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa taala bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.